Welcome to Tuning In, the podcast of the Handel and Haydn Society, recorded in Boston, Massachusetts. H&H is the nation's longest-running arts organization, founded in 1815, and since the 1980s has been a leader in the performance on period instruments of music from the Renaissance through the 19th century. In each episode of our podcast, we explore music and artistry and the way both weave us through society and life in general, within the early music field and outside of it. We highlight music featured during the society's past and that planned for its future. I'm your host, Guy Fishman. Most musical organizations rely on a music or artistic director to shape the artistic trajectory of the ensemble, as well as its artistic values, including its sound. The Handel and Haydn Society is no exception. Like many organizations, H&H turns the chorus and orchestra over to guest conductors several times a year, which results in our musicians reaping the rewards of different and sometimes unfamiliar perspectives, as well as of forging new relationships. We're delighted to welcome Jonathan Cohen back to Boston for the second time with H&H, and I'm grateful he's agreed to join me on Tuning In. Jonathan Cohen is founder and director of the British period instrument group Arcangelo, with whom he has performed across the world and has recorded Grammy Award-nominated discs. In addition, he is music director of the great Canadian chamber orchestra Le Violon de Roi and guest conducts some of the world's foremost ensembles on both period and standard instruments. Jonathan, welcome and thank you for being here. Hi there. Great pleasure. So my first encounter with you uh, was hearing you play continuo cello in a production of Bach's St. Matthew Passion at the Kleinborn Festival in England. And I think you were playing with the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment. And I was especially impressed with your playing in the aria Geduld, which is a difficult cello oh. part. And so yeah. I, I looked you up and found some of your recordings. You had just released a disc of Vivaldi cello concertos. And so it became very clear that you were an excellent cellist. And then I started hearing about you conducting, and now there are recordings of you doing that, as well as playing harpsichord continuo, uh, and sometimes more, as in a recording of Bach's Gamba Sonatas uh, with cellist Nicola Altsted. Uh, and these have fully composed keyboard parts, so not, not easy. You're a multifaceted musician who brings a high level to all of these aspects of your activities. I was wondering if you could recount your path to this point through the cello and other instruments, how you started conducting, and so on. Goodness, that's uh, over a long period of time, that is. So let's have a think. I started as a cellist when I finished university. I started working, I was on trial actually for the Philharmonia Orchestra as the principal cello. So I did that for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then I, I mean, I was always interested in early music. And when I was at Cambridge, I was putting together a lot of um, little concerts with uh, singers and friends and investigating some music that was sitting in libraries. So I was always very much interested in early music. Actually, I remember when I heard John Elliott Garner come through with his um, Bach uh, cantata pilgrimage, which he was doing when I was a student way back. And I remember meeting David Watkin, who was his principal cello. Uh, and asking David, is there any chance I could come and have a lesson with you? I'm really interested in in this um, early music thing. 
So mm. I, I sort of got into that while I was at university. But after university, I went to become a cellist, a professional cellist on the London scene, let's say. And it was sort of during that time when I ended up then getting interested in Baroque cello on the side. And then I started playing with some of the early music groups in London. And then in the OAE, who had this residency at Glyndebourne, they, they still do. And that's where you would have heard me playing in the pit in that that's right. uh, Matthew Passion yeah. um, all those years ago. So yeah, uh, and it was from there really where I met William Christie, who became my mentor, let's say. I became an assistant of Bill's and I ended up going to Paris for about five years. I mean, not ditching the cello, but I sort of had a parallel career as an ass- I did sort of, uh, I disappear off to Paris every now and again to assist him in a number of opera productions. And this is as a conductor. Yeah. The great thing is about conducting in early music. You know, I ended up having to repetitor on the harpsichord for some of the uh, rehearsals and conduct the orchestra and work with the singers. It was a very formative experience for me because, you know, it was working with very top-notch and very professional people at all levels. And I felt myself, you know, at the beginning, let's say, quite ignorant. <laughs> and mm. I sat in in lots of language coachings with, you know, people like Rita De Letteris, who's a great uh, language coach in Italian. And we'd do coachings together with singers, with me on the harpsichord and Rita uh, with the language, and I'd be doing a lot of repertoire for the first time. I remember my first project was doing a Rameau Les Paladins, you know, with uh, great singers, and it was a wonderful experience. And I just learned so much during those first years, really. Bill was very generous. He gives a lot of responsibility to his assistants. So it's not really something that exists, I think, in the in the normal sense of how does someone become a conductor it's a very interesting experience because now I guess a lot of people go to music college and they they practice and with a piano in front of, and then the next thing they do is they find themselves professionally in front of an orchestra and actually there's um one of the great benefits that I had really spending those years was actually being involved at a, a high level and getting the chance to work with people doing rehearsals but not necessarily doing the all the performances at first, I, I started taking performances towards the end. Yeah, I was very fortunate really to, to have Bill's support and to mm. to find those experiences early on. Mm. I'm curious with your own ensemble, Arcangelo, I think you founded that in 2010, is that correct? That's right, yeah. So do you find that you spend as much time conducting uh, from the harpsichord as you do in front of the orchestra or what's the sort of ratio you know guy it's like being a conductor it's very interesting i suppose there was no such thing as a conductor before really i suppose late beethoven i mean of course people wave their hands you know but you have to find the places where it needs your hands you know yeah I often think of music in the uh, 18th century really as as chamber music on an aesthetic level, I suppose. And even when there are large numbers of people, sometimes they need your help with their hands and sometimes they don't. And it's just a matter of feeling out when that's necessary. So often, you know, when when I've done the big passions or some of the large scale works, for example, I think in the Messiah in December, I often find myself... And it's different with different groups, you know, as well. Uh, I've often found myself conducting, of course, all the choruses, because when you've got essentially a very large group of people in a large place, they need some sort of visual cues because people don't hear each other as clearly. Mm. And then sometimes in some of the arias, especially when all the violins are playing in unison, that can work very nicely, um, leading from the harpsichord. So, you know, it's a matter of feeling out what works, you know. Yeah. Certainly, I find there's a lot of benefits sometimes when the music is quite chamber in style, let's say. I find there's a lot of benefit to leading from the harpsichord. It's a very good instrument for, 
the leading. Certainly. You can kind of rhythmically make a lot of contribution and, and inflect things around you with, with a group of people that are really listening all the time, yeah. So you mentioned that it's different with different ensembles. Brings me to my next question. So there are ensembles with which you work regularly, your own Arcangelo, Villon de Roi, of which you are music director. And you also guest conduct many others, including the Handel and Haydn Society. Are there any differences in approach to the ensemble that you have to employ when conducting as a guest? You know, what are those differences in your experience? And are they challenging or beneficial And uh, when you're conducting as a guest? Well, I say it's different with every group. I mean, you know, I think when you're there on the podium and you meet for the first time and you look at the repertoire... There's all sorts of questions. I mean, you're dealing with the group might have played the piece 100 times before. It might have never played the piece before. There might be people in the band that um, feel much more secure when they're when they're conducted all the time and they have very specific instructions. You know, this, this note's with a staccato, this note has a crescendo. There are groups and groups of people that have a lot of experience with that kind of thing and, and are much more comfortable to essentially not have to sort of be too prescriptive in the approach so I, I think maybe one of the one of the necessities of the of the job of being a director of a, of a music project you know it's like a sixth sense really you 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 discover quickly in the rehearsal what is needed from you and what's the best way to guide the process whether it's good to push people a little out of their comfort zone whether that is going to be beneficial or or not beneficial what the music needs so you know there's lots of lots of moving parts to that um it's almost like a sort of psychological discovery between you and the group of people that you're working with. And with a good group, everyone has the same goal in mind, which is we want to make a really good and convincing performance of this wonderful music that we're doing. And we want to take it to the best level that we can. And so it's, I suppose, how do we achieve that is... Mm. Um, it's a question for each group, isn't it? And, and not even just each group, but each each project for each group, you know? Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a uh, psychological exercise for which you have relatively little time. You have, you know, I think at, at Handel and Haydn, you'll have four or five rehearsals with people with whom you're less familiar, perhaps. Yeah. And so it sounds like it takes a lot of flexibility. I think so. I, I, I think that's absolutely the, the key. I mean, for example, when we'll be doing this um, amazing... C.P. Bach Magnificat, you know, there's uh, there's some real challenges in that music. I mean, as as you know, guy, mm. the uh, C.P. is not a is a writes virtuosically for the orchestra. I suppose there'll be some times where where I think it will be more useful to be conducting in some of those moments. I mean, for example, the the horns have very high parts, don't they? In mm. one or two of the arias, um, I remember when I recorded it with uh, Archangelo. Uh, horn players were almost um, expressing disbelief at seeing the parts. They have to just play these super squealy high notes without any preparation. You know, there's no lyric line as well. They just have to play sort of... <laughs> like this. And it's spot on and it's very, very, very difficult. And I suppose having a, as, as a music director there, just understanding that there's there's some kind of enormous athletic challenge here for the horn player and to have a, have a support and a um, communication about that is... Uh, that's the sort of thing I'm, I'm thinking about. Well, I know that Todd and Elizabeth will appreciate knowing that you understand. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be brilliant. Absolutely. I'm sure they absolutely. <laughs> so, 
Speaking of these musicians, many of the musicians you work with perform on period as well as standard instruments, both Todd and Elizabeth do, and many others. Uh, famously, Le Violon de Roi perform on modern instruments, though sometimes with period bows, and always in a very informed, stylish way. Uh, but that may still be the exception rather than the rule. Do you guest conduct orchestras on modern instruments, and are there challenges that you face when performing 18th century music with those instruments that you might not find with period groups? And how do you uh, approach those challenges? Yeah, there's a very interesting discussion uh, about that because, you know, I am of the mind that it's uh, when you're performing this music, if we have the technology that would have been known by the composer, a lot of things click into place, especially regarding balance, you know, and uh, uh, especially with the wind instruments, which, of course, are changing a lot and the gut strings there's a there's a lot of things which are just instantly solved by being on the on the um, instruments that the composer was writing for at the time there's no doubt about that in the same way that when you play um you know steinway piano today it's, it's a, you play schubert on a on a piano of schubert's time the, the the whole character of the music is a little different you know the piano is much more percussive especially at the top end there's a regions of the piano, which sound very different and, and more singing, let's say, in the baritone. And it's a lot less even, let's say, than a modern piano. And that instantly, you can start to instantly understand, oh, well, that's why that melody works really well in that part of the, you know, there's a depth of understanding I think you can gain from using those instruments of the time. That's absolutely the case. Having said that, I do believe that the way in which we play the music is more, I mean, I'd, I'd always prefer to hear a piece played by people with the, let's say, the wrong instruments, not that they're the wrong instruments, but, you know, the mm -hmm. modern instruments. I'd prefer to hear a piece of music played by people with modern instruments, but in a very musically informed manner and studied, let's say, than I would to hear people on early instruments play things, let's say, not so well in, in the music. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah, so it's not, it, it's, it's, I mean, ideally, we'd have the best of both worlds, the original instruments and, of course, a very musically and stylistically informed interpretation. That's what we could aim for, let's say. That's the place we all want to go. I don't feel that when we're with a modern orchestra or people without the early instruments, it's not that it's not possible to make a good version of Beethoven, let's say, because you don't have a natural trumpet. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's not the case at all. Yeah. Especially if those um, modern instrumentalists have in their mind's ear, let's say, uh, or imagination, the kind of attack, the kind of sound that one would get from a natural instrument of the 19th century, let's say. You know, I, I think it's always useful to try and bring that um, uh, sense of understanding of what the instruments do to a modern orchestra when I, when I go sometimes I would end up saying, well, well, you know, the, the timps can often sound very much like this. And have you thought about trying to maybe use a, uh, an attack which is the same as that, you know? Yeah, mm. interesting. Sounds like it has as much to do with the musician behind the instrument as it does with the instrument. Yeah. I think that's exactly what I've been trying to say, but just in a very long-winded way. You just I, no, no. <laughs> Come on now, I, I appreciate <laughs> yeah. your explanation for sure. No, 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 no. <laughs> So I want to turn for a second to the concert you're leading us at Handel and Haydn on. This upcoming concert is your second visit with the Handel and Haydn Society, and you're bringing two well-known gems, this first orchestral suite by Bach 
and Vivaldi's Gloria, as well as C.P. Bach's Magnificat that you alluded to, which is a perhaps less familiar work and something that I want to ask you about in a bit. Yeah. Is there a theme to this program? Is there something that guided you in choosing these works, or is it just... I love these pieces, let's just do them. Well, a bit of that. I think I wanted to go for a quite a joyous concert. That was the key. And we wanted to explore some choral work. So that was what's joyous and what's choral and what pieces do I want to want to do with you guys. So I think that was the sort of driving motivation behind it. And definitely I wanted to include the CP piece. As you said, it's not something which is uh, generally known, let's say, widely as it should be, I think. So there was definitely a feeling of, being on a mission there to bring that piece more to the public. Yeah. Right. I'm so glad you said that. I couldn't feel more strongly about C.P. Bach and this mission. Yeah, that great. So many of us are on <laughs> to yes. uh, expose more of the public to his music. C.P. happens to be a passion of mine. I suspect one of yours. I know, sounds, yeah, exactly. Like the, yeah. The, the second ever recording I ever bought uh, of an early music ensemble. Uh, recordings are really how I got acquainted with this world, was of C.P.E. Bach's three cello concertos. And I swear, if you could wear out a CD, then I certainly would have. I listened to it. <laughs> and you've recorded them yourself as well, haven't you? I have recorded them yeah, with, yeah. with the Hanolheim Society. And, uh, you know, I still like this recording best, the one that I listened to. That's Honor Bilsma oh, yeah. with the OAE. I just think it's it's a magnificent recording. And you've recorded them, you've directed them with Nicola Hashtet, uh, yeah. also a terrific recording. And, you know, I think that C.P.E. Bach is not only a remarkable composer, but a remarkable and significant musician who said and wrote some of the most instructive and insightful commentary on being a musician, which is still relevant today. So this is a guy who was credited by Haydn, Mozart, and Beethoven as having been a source of much that they knew. Yeah, the father of us all, right? Exactly. That's what yeah. Mozart said. And yeah. Haydn wrote a letter, said, I owe Bach so much in what I do. And when he says Bach, he means CPE, not, not J.S. Bach. Yeah. And yet we hear so little of him today. And so I'm grateful that you've programmed this piece. Can you speak about your relationship with C.P.E. Bach? Where did it start? How do you feel about this guy? Well, I feel similarly to you in that his, I find his music compelling, uh, brilliant. I think he's an underrated composer today. As you said, that he was very highly rated in his day. And his, his voice is completely unique, isn't it? When you hear music by C.P. Bach, if you know C.P. Bach's music, it's very clearly C.P. Bach in the way that when you hear Mendelssohn's music, it's Mendelssohn, you know? Yeah. His style is entirely his own. And he's at that curious point in history, you know, where in one way it was the ending of a... I mean, I suppose you, when when you look back in time, it's easy to say that, but at the time he was doing quite new things. And I'm quite fascinated, especially how one can be the son of J.S. Bach as well and what kind of psychological implications... <laughs> <laughs> that has for you as a composer, which I suppose goes some way to explaining why C.P. Bach is C.P. Bach. This music's quite zany. It's incredibly off the cuff. It's quite visionary. It's very, very impassioned music and very much emotional and direct. Yes. I love that about that music. It always fires you up when you play it. It's also, I think, very difficult because it's very often the notes are very fast. It goes uh, quite to extremes, you know, he's really pushing the boundaries. When it's fast, it's very fast. When it's loud, it's very loud. When it's soft and quiet, it's very soft and quiet. And he's, he's really someone, I think, that's exploring extremes and what it means to communicate emotion through music. And, and he said himself that was his primary 
concern when composing, you know, how to move other people. And a musician cannot move other people if he himself is not moved. This is a this is something that that Carl Philipp Emanuel uh, said. He was also a theorist in his time, and I think correct me if I'm mistaken here, but he was, as a, as a keyboardist, a very important person in the development of the technique of using the thumb yes. in the keyboard. And he wrote a lot of interesting material about the technical aspects of playing the keyboard. That's correct. He was one of the first people to be using the new instruments of the piano as opposed to the keyboard and developing the repertoire for that instrument. So he was quite a trailblazer. Yeah. yeah. He wrote this book in 1752 on the, the true art of playing the keyboard. And this is a book that 50 years later, Beethoven was forcing all of his students to read. Like This is something you have to, yeah. to, to know, yeah. which says a lot about C.P. Bach's influence throughout the 18th century. Yeah. I wonder about that, the weight of having J.S. Bach be your father. You know, we, we say, well, <laughs> you know, C.P. had the benefit of having the greatest musician in the world in history, yeah. be his teacher, although history hadn't been written yet, so he might not have known that that was the case. So maybe it was a little bit easier than we think, I don't know. But certainly he had an extensive education. So the piece itself, the Magnificat, this is a piece that I'm less familiar, I've, I've heard it, I believe I've played it once, I haven't delved into it, I'm really looking forward to it. What do you hope the listener walks away with after this piece? What, what should they notice in this performance? Well, talking a little about the, the relationship with the father, I think this piece is somehow a, a musical coming together of this issue. I mean, the big amen at the end is is almost, it could almost be a testament to the father, really. It's extremely interesting fugue. It's a homage to Big Daddy. <laughs> There's no doubt about that, except, of course, you're using trumpets and horns, the chorus as well, which is, I think, regularly top Bs in the tenor part. So uh, it's just grand. It's grand and enormous, and it's a huge statement. And really, I think it's basically him saying, I give you homage, great father, and at the same time, I go my own way a bit as well. So there's, it's a sort of really interesting piece in that it mixes and matches. It very clearly has a lot to owe to the father. Sounds like a father-son relationship fleshed out in some of the most expressive music of the 18th century, really just out there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would encourage that, you know, the the audience should certainly have in mind, especially those that know J.S. Bach's Magnificat, they should have in mind a little bit uh, what it is that um, he's taking from his uh, father and what it is that he's striking out on his own, let's say. Well, I'm so excited that you've programmed it. I'm excited for your visit. This conversation has enlightened me. And I am sure I join our listeners in looking forward to these performances. Thank you so much, Jonathan Cohen, for joining me on Tuning In. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to come and visit again and to play together. And I'm looking forward to this program immensely. So I'll see you shortly in Boston. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, Guy. Jonathan Cohen is director of Arcangelo and Le Violon de Roi. He conducts the Handel and Haydn Society Chorus and Orchestra in a program of Vivaldi, J.S. Bach, and C.P.E. Bach. Thank you for tuning in please visit our webpage at www.handleandhyden.org slash podcast 
for this and previous episodes, as well as more information on Jonathan Cohen, this concert program, and the Handel and Haydn Society. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. Thank you.